Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello, and welcome to The Thriller Zone, the podcast for thriller seekers everywhere. I'm your guest host, Tammy Temple, and on this evening's podcast is David Temple, our guest who is launching today, The Imposter, the second book in the Pat Norelli series. Tell me, David, what does it feel like to be on the opposite end of the conversation? It's completely different because I like being on this side where I start off telling about what the show's going to be about and who we're going to be speaking it with. But yeah, it's a little bit different, especially when it is my lovely wife. A little nervous? Oh, just a wee bit. For the audience, we have not rehearsed this. David is not aware of my questions, and I have taken full control of his podcast. <laughs> Which tells you a little bit of some a little bit of something about him. Yeah. There's a huge trust value in that I'm taking control and also that he likes to have a fair amount of control over his podcasts. He's very particular and clearly a professional. Thank you. So what is special about today, David? Well, I launched The Imposter, book two in the Pat Norelli series, and I I'm really excited about this particular book because it's it, it's a s- slight departure in that it picks up one year later. You know, when I set out to do The Poser, which was book one, I wasn't sure if it was going to be pure thriller, pure mystery, and it ended up being a little bit of both. I was very happy with that book. We had great sales. And then I thought, how can I make it better? So uh, here on the day of, I've sold not as many as I would like, (laughs) even with all my social pimping, but, you know, it's all part of the process. You have very high expectations, and you've done a great job in your sales for today. Um, Let's talk a little bit about, for people that are out there listening to this podcast, let's step back and and share with the audience, because I'd like for them to feel the interest, the um, enthusiasm, opportunity to engage with how the Pat Norelli series came to life. It was originally going to be Pete Norelli, if you want to know the truth. Uh, I had this guy in mind, and uh, I thought... I came up with Norelli, Italian, Pete, because it was an average guy name. And I got the opening scene within minutes. This is an opening scene that I wrote in 1997 in one take. It's about a page long. Very gripping scene. And I just put it on the shelf. It wasn't until however many years later that I ran into an agent at an event at Writer's Digest in Los Angeles, and she said, hey, what would you think about making it a woman as the lead protagonist? And I'm like, that's interesting, and I got no problem with that. And within minutes of sitting down and looking at the script, I came, I'm like, oh, Pat, Pete and Pat, of course, brother, sister, because I had had this germ of an idea of a sister when it was Pete, and it was based in Palm Springs, outside of L.A. But it's funny, this, the wife remained the same. And uh, he originally had one daughter. He has now two children, which I can go into later why I named them what I named them. And so when she made that suggestion, I'm like, okay, I can do that. And I um, retooled the whole story. Uh, took me a couple of years, and it was way too fat. And when I followed up, she said, you know, it needs to be about half of that. Well, the mystery was built upon this series of dominoes. So if you pulled out one domino, it might not trip the next one. 
So I had to kind of restructure it, but um, that's how it started. And then when I started, when I committed to it being a woman, I saw her, I heard her, and I had her instantly. And she's as real to me, almost as real as you sitting there right now. There are a few things that come to mind about this story. And I recall it was in the fall of 2016 when you um, you went to the Writer's Digest conference. Right. You came home and you were excited about the possibility of crafting your first mystery. Yeah. And that in itself, because you had basically been writing... Um, I call them military thrillers. I'm yeah. not in your world. What would you call them? They are military thrillers. I mean, I'm, they're not Vince Flynn and Jack Carr and Tom Clancy, but it was a uh, 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 a version of that. And it was Carter Matheson, this guy that I just kind of dreamt up one day that I had developed in another story. And everyone was so drawn to him that I just kept going with him. But... He's, you know, I, I've always liked the character that is a man's man off the reservation, wants to go his own way. He has his own agenda. It's often about re uh, re revenge or retribution or redemption, the three R's. And um, he comes out of retirement to take on a special project kind of cliche in that everybody does that but I had just started writing like full time and I thought that's what I wanted to do and I came up with him and it and it just kind of fit so the Carter Matheson stories were quick reads they were yeah. really interesting it felt like you embraced that character and the writing was very natural for you so to leap into a mystery and yeah. now writing in a female voice you referenced it took you a couple of years to complete the first of the Norelli series. And that feels like having to get your head wrapped around. Now you're writing a mystery, creating an outline for all of the red herrings, and then writing from a female voice. <laughs> that was the hardest part because, I mean, having grown up with two sisters and a mom and then dating my fair share, I had a pretty good handle on what women were about, but I had never crawled inside the mind of a woman to write as the protagonist. So that was a challenge. And I got called out on a lot of different things, but you know, I always want to say this, like to people who I had someone say to me early about another book, uh, kids wouldn't talk that way. And to this day I go, when you sit down and write your book, you can decide how that kid talks in your world. Right now, this is how they talk in my world. And I think that's, I think that's completely fair. It's your book. Right, exactly. It's your story. Right. And to your point, um, however you want to portray the story is your choice. Yeah, and I always thought it would be, you know, Norelli is a whole lot like you. She's beautiful. She's smart. She doesn't take shit from anybody. She is kind and considerate, way softer than you think she is. But again, she's not going to be pushed around, especially in a man's world of like the LAPD. She's going to prove herself. She's got a brother, an older brother, who uh, leaped ahead of her in the career. She's got a father who's domineering, former military, both of them. And, you know, she's always proven herself. And I just thought it would be really cool to have, you know, I remember saying in a blurb on one of my social media ads way back when, like if you, if you took Bosch and gave him really great legs and made him a beautiful brunette, that would be no rally. <laughs> oh my God, that's so sick. Thank so you. Titus would not play Norelli. Titus Weller, yeah. I love you, buddy. I mean, brother. But yeah, no, I need her like, he, he must be about 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, She's like 5'10", five, 5'11". Five, Legs up to here and just, yeah, brunette. Beautiful like you. Thank you. Yeah. High level. Give me uh, an overview of the Pat Norelli story. Book one, book two, just because we might have some people that aren't necessarily familiar 
with with the Pat Norelli series. Super easy. Pat Norelli is working the late shift. Thank you, Michael Conley. Third shift overnights. She gets a chance to work with a mentor that had moved in and out of third to first shift called Detective Stuart Brown. A murder case comes in in Hollywood. A starlet is found murdered. She gets, because she's coming off the shift, she teams up with Stuart. They go see the evidence. Everyone's going, oh yeah, suicide. And something about it just strikes her as not right. So she watched Patterns and Habits and she went to her boss and said, look, give me this case. Just let me prove myself. If I don't do it, you can fire me. It's a Hail Mary. And he's like, you're a pain in the ass. Yeah, okay, we'll do it. She takes the case and between her and Stuart Brown, they crack it. It takes a while. It's full of really interesting characters. The Poser's probably one of my favorite books I've ever written. And um, so they crack it. However, spoiler alert, he gets away. So one year later, having haunted her and him having haunted her in his, her dreams, she sets out to remedy the situation. Track him down. So, but, so the imposter, what, without giving away too much, the story opens with her connecting with a friend. That friend turns up dead, and somehow the evidence points to Norelli. Norelli's like this. That's total BS, and uh, I think I know the signature of this person. And lays it all on red 26 and says, I'm going after this guy. This is right before she's told, oh, and don't leave town. So she's fighting for her freedom. Yeah. She's fighting for her career. Yes. And then she has this personal vendetta to take down this guy that has wreaked so much havoc in her life and, and in her personal friendships. Yeah, and what makes the first story so interesting is she is going about her business. She's got a little bit of a drinking problem. She's got a little bit of a promiscuity problem, we'll call it. And her boss, the captain, says, look, why don't you just try to dial this in and go get some help? And she dials into this particular therapist, and he isn't what he appears. And, you know, part of his magic is being able to get inside the psyche of someone. And he has a couple of different tricks up his sleeve. And P.S., this is all based on research. It's all legitimate. All of it's doable. This is not, you know, a fantasy book. And then, uh, you know, with book two... He can't get her he can't get her out of his head as much as she can't get him out of his head for whatever reason you want to say it is. And so she rolls the dice, throws a Hail Mary, and goes after him. And it's an international chase. You mentioned research and the story is not some pie in the sky imaginary um scenarios tell tell your audience a little bit about the research that you go through to create or to bring your books to life well first of all uh i love me some google flyovers i learned this trick when i was living in manhattan so we had the good fortune to be able to live in midtown and then i would go from coffee shop to coffee shop to just write but as I would sit on particular corners, I would look at the buildings around me, and then I would envision what those buildings would be in my story. And then I would, you know, I discovered Google flyovers, and then I could actually fly over the city, and that would expedite my story. So I use that technique in this particular story, The Imposter. And I have this fascination, for whatever reason, with Australia, and I just love, love it. I've never been there. It's so much like a lot of the parts of America. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to use that as a, one of the home bases. So that becomes part of my research. And I, I go into great detail. The hotels and the restaurants 
even the cabbies, it all has to be real so that if anyone is living inside Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane, they can say, oh, the guy knows what he's talking about. And then uh, having lived in Manhattan, both of us uh, together and then me one other time doing a radio show, you know, I know that city really well. So I like to integrate restaurants and streets and avenues. I did that in Knuckle Down with Carter Matheson. Uh, being able to tell so many different things terrain-wise and otherwise. But I really like to make the story as real as possible. I get right up to the edge of reality, and then I bend the truth. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I've read your reviews. People do speak to the fact that reading your stories, they feel like they know the areas that you write about. Yeah. I don't take, I take very little liberties with that. And I, uh, if I bend anything, I will, you know, logically, I might name the restaurant something differently in case they don't want to be mentioned or, you know, and I'll, I'll take certain liberties with that and I'll embellish tiny things. But I really do like to stick for whatever reason as close to it as possible. I will say that our bookshelves have swelled significantly over the course of the last few years from books on forensics, AI, um, several things that I never would have thought would be in my book library are all of a sudden in our library based upon all of the research that you do. Yeah, there's a guy that I met at Thriller Fest in 2019, and I'm going to drop his name right now for some reason I can't recall it. He's so well-known, so I feel like a complete idiot. But he's big into forensics, so I picked up a Forensics for Dummies because I knew that I had never been to an autopsy. I'd never seen a lot of those things. I'm going to go to that eventually, but I just didn't really have the stomach for it, and I needed to learn a lot of things really fast, so I picked up that book. But yeah, Artificial Intelligence, uh, Cybersecurity, which is going to be featured in my next book, and I've already started reaching out to cybersecurity specialist, but, you know, I've seen all the greats do this. Don Winslow, one of my favorite authors, Jack Carr is probably off the charts with his research. He takes it to a biblical level. (laughs) I don't even know what that means, but it's pretty crazy. Meg Gardner will do things with words that I had never seen. So I have become a lover of the thesaurus, but yeah, I, I do spend quite a bit of time investing in books that can expand my knowledge base uh, and inspiration as well as anything. I noticed too, as it pertains to those particular authors and a few other authors, you'll walk out of your office and you'll make me stop what I'm doing and give me a sentence. And we'll kind of hang on that sentence. Like, wow, what a well-crafted sentence. Yeah. It kind of is an art. I never really thought about that until until um, we started going down this road. And words and sentence and structure and meaning became very prevalent in our conversations. Yeah, Car- Cormac McCarthy has a way of crafting a sentence with no punctuation, by the way, which is a little off-putting, that you won't ever really cognitively think of probably one of my favorite authors for this specific thing and I'm so excited to say she's going to be on a future show is Meg Gardner she can craft a sentence that is so rich and so uh, colorful and vibrant that uses words in such a way that I'd never heard that I'm completely mesmerized and you know there are people who say write what you know Mm, I kind of have always heard that, but I also like to write what I don't know because I like the, I like the discovery. The discovery to me is half the pleasure. However, with that said, I do know I've learned a few things over the last few books, and I think I posted this in Instagram or Twitter recently about now I get it why when I went to put pitch what was seduction at daybreak is now the poser to some agents in new york 
uh, because they had already, they already have that premise out there. So now I'm starting to get the feeling, especially after talking to KJ Howe um, of Skyjack fame, and she said that she had learned from David Morrell that you write, truly do write from your experience base, and that's why this next book is going to be so significantly different. I don't want to lose sight on a couple questions about Norelli, but I do, before I go back there, I do want to call this one example out because I think it's important as other writers are listening about maybe what works, what has worked for you, advice that you've received. You had an experience with Tony Eldridge the producer of the Equalizer yeah. series. Yeah, yeah. And share that share that story because I think it's significant for what you just said. Yeah, I so I'm at Thriller Fest and, and you get to pitch agents or producers and I sit down to Tony, a super nice guy, very talented, did all the Equalizers like you said, and his wife, uh, Tori's really a talented writer as well. And so we're sitting there, and I'm talking about the pitch, and this is what's so key. I do the pitch, and he goes, he he almost started tuning out instantly. And I, uh, what's up, Tony? Uh, and this is the pitch for Pat Norelli. This is for Pat Norelli. Series. Yeah, for the series. And he goes, yeah, no, that's not for me. And I'm like, well, why is that? He goes, been there, done it, seen it. A lot, lot of stories. And then I start citing all the stories that I can think of. Wait a minute, so... Bosch? Well, yeah, but that's Michael Conley. Okay. But, you know, I named a few others. He goes, have you been a detective? I'm like, no. Have you been a cop? No. Forensics? No. He says, okay, well, listen, thanks for your time. And I got ready to leave, and I, he goes, by the way, what what's your background? I said, I'm a former radio guy. I did radio shows for like 25 years, like all the major markets. That was my love. He goes, why don't you write about that? I'm like, who wants to hear about that? And he goes, I would. He goes, I'd buy that right now. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I reflected back to a moment when you had made, made this comment about, you know, why don't you write exactly what your background is? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And at that moment, I went, okay, well, that would make sense because I know a whole lot about that. And then I uh, mentioned this to, to <clears throat> K.J. Howe on a, an early Naked Monday podcast. And she completely took off on that and said, yeah, 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 yeah. And then my favorite moment of probably of this year, you and I are having lunch with Don and his wife, Jean, Don Winslow, and right here in, you know, Encinitas. And he makes a comment about, you know, what are you working on? I'm like, well, I'm going to, I think I'm going to do this story next about such and such. And he goes, what would it involve around? I'm like, you know, radio. He goes, oh, my God, I love radio. Radio is one of my favorite mediums. I just need that. Bye, bye, bye. And he went on and on. I'm like, wow. I'm like, yeah, that's, I'm going to incorporate my career of radio into that. He goes, I love it. What's the title? And I told him, which I won't mention. And he goes, oh, my God, that's great. And at that moment, it all just kind of crystallized. I mean, between you and KJ and him. And I'm just, you know, it, sometimes you just have to get something beat into your head a couple of times. And then I'm like, okay, that's it. And so I'm, I'm going to put Norelli a little bit to the side. I'm, I'm still going to, I'm not getting rid of her or Carter, but this other is burning a hole in my brain and I've got plenty of material on it. I mean, 25 years of a professional career and I've thought about it for decades. So that'll be next. You just also landed on a question that I was going to ask you. So for everyone out there who, what I've heard is women want to be her, guys want to date her. Uh, what's next for Pat? That's such a great question. I have one of two thoughts. Uh, if you read the story, you'll find out that there has been some seismic shifts in her life. Seismic from boyfriends to her parents moving to her daughter going away to college. And I have uh, a, a very specific idea in mind that I want to do with her next. And if you read The Imposter, well, if you read The Poser, you'll get a sense of her journey, her broken journey in the 
imposter, you see that she's starting to come to terms with a lot of things about herself. And then there's a few things she loses very close to her in the story that shift her in a seismic way. And having grown up in Los Angeles, born in Pasadena uh, area, and I think it's there is a possibility that there may be a very big change in the horizon. Is that what you're getting at, uh, Little Miss here? I think it's important for yeah. people to understand your audience who like Pat mm -hmm. or maybe your audience who has yet to read Pat have an understanding of what's in store. And it sounds as though you're going to kind of pin pin it for a bit so you can work on this other project and then potentially come back and and breathe a little more life into her story. I have a, yeah, I have a very specific idea where I want to take her and a, what I want her to do and how I want to integrate the people around her into her new life while she says goodbye to some people. But just like life, and you and I know this because we've moved how many times in our years together, life just has a way of constantly evolving and taking on new shifts and patterns. And she's going to do that. I'm very excited about it. I mean, I've got a, some really significant ideas for her. And here's another thing I did in this book that I've never done anywhere else is I bring in characters from other books and other series into the story a major one shows up in The Imposter that wasn't in The Poser, and he came from another series. And then as I'm going through this, the book, I wrote this one-off called Devour earlier in the year about a celebrity chef in San Francisco. I won't go into that whole story, but I brought in a little elements of that story into this book. And I, I love doing that because... I think what's key is if people find you and they like you and they like your characters and they stick with you. Uh, uh, your stepmother said something about, I love the fact that you brought in this character from another world into this new world. She goes, that's so exciting because I had already pictured that person in that world. And now to see them integrate into this world was really interesting. I just think that's cool. And potentially a unique style. Yes. So for everyone out there that's listening, before we wrap up segment, segment one and go into segment two, who is your ideal audience for Pat? Uh, I, I would say women. Um, who are excited about hearing about women heroes. You know, I had a very strong mother. I have very strong sisters. You're a very strong woman. I like strong women. I like to see, I love this new wave of women in television and films being the ass kickers, like uh, Mayor uh, of Easttown, right? I mean, characters like that. I just, I, I love that. And it's about, it's about time. Um, so I, I really like that and, um, I would like to see more of that. Does that? I, one of the things that I have enjoyed about watching Pat is, um, there's a little rough and tumble yeah. to her in the first book and, she got a little softer in book two. Yeah, I think there's a it's it's nice to have a strong female presence. And I think in the past, at least what I've grown up around is you're soft and marshmallow or you're snarky and you're just not a nice person. You're mm. just kind of brash and right. edgy. There's no middle of the road where you can be feminine and strong and have boundaries, yeah. but you don't have to be um, rude and crass. Right. There's a little rough and tumble to her in the first book, but I, I agree with you. Um, I saw that soften a bit in the also, second book. Yeah, and it has to do with vulnerability because she... Uh, 
she was rolling from situation to situation and, you know, trying to fit in and try to be accepted. And um, I think it's a vulnerability thing that when she gets close to someone and she realizes she can truly just be her and she's accepted as herself and she sees that that's okay, then she goes, oh, they like me just the way I am. I don't have to try so hard. Again, it's the male influence of work, male influence of brother, of father, etc. And so she's doing that competitiveness. But when she realizes that the guys, you know, like the soft side, it it kind of works. And I so back to your question about audience. I'm amazed at the amount of guys, your brother for one. Your your brother just freaked out. He loves Norelli. He's always, I love me some Norelli. And, you know, back to your comment about girls want to be here and guys want to date her. Um, so, you know, that, I don't know, 25 to 55, men and women, men and women, because everybody kind of likes her. And to your point, I think as a reader, you find an author that speaks to you and you just tend to read through their books, um, regardless of the topic. Uh-huh. Um my mother's not 25 to 55 and she really likes your writing. My stepmother isn't 25 to 55 and she likes your writing. My whole family basically reads David's work and yeah. really enjoys it. Um, men, women of all ages. And it, I think it's funny. The, the reason I brought up that, I was just having to fill this out for a Facebook ad or something. And they said, pick the age group. And, uh, and I just sure. kind of picked 25 to 55 because I, it started with 13. I'm like, 13-year-olds are not going to be reading this book. And it went to 85. And I'm like, 85 is not going to be reading this book. My mother would not have liked this book, God rest her soul. Um, your Your mother wants more sex than I've ever been able to write. And uh, I I hope she did like this one, didn't she? She yeah. liked a little, yeah. She she always wants more. Yeah. yeah. So before we transition to segment two, how can people find you? How can people purchase your books? Easiest way to go to my website, davidtemplebooks.com. Kind of makes sense. Uh, there you can find out how to purchase the books, how to purchase the audio books. You can find out about my background a little bit and um, read some testimonials from people who have read the books and have liked it. Um, I've discovered this new thing. It's a new version of Bitly. You know what Bitly is. It's basically mm -hmm. a URL shortener. And there's a new one called Sleek Bio, which is kind of nice. Because everybody wants to shorten everything. So bio, biography, sleek, sexy, simple. So sleek.bio backslash David Temple. Kind of gives, I'm using that on my branding now so that you can go there and in one simple little page, you can connect with me on every single channel. So if you don't want to sit there and go through my website, which is pretty gorgeous, if I may say so myself. Thank you, Author Bites. Um, then that's a fair way to do it. But uh, Amazon, I know that The Imposter is on Amazon right now. Uh, there was a little bit of a technical difficulty, so it's not going to hit all the other booksellers until tom uh, f Friday or Saturday of this weekend. But I do know uh, the paperback is on both Amazon and Barnes & Noble, and the ebook is on Amazon, but it should all be across the board, Apple... Google, blah, blah. Social media. What are your social media sites where uh, people can be a fan, follow what you're doing, what you're saying, your writing practices, tricks, tips? Yeah, I don't really do tips and tricks. I'll leave that to other <laughs> professionals. But um, Dave Temple is Twitter, at Dave Temple. And Dave Temple is because everybody called me Dave growing up, so... I guess it was too much to say David. It took so much longer to say two syllables. Um, Instagram is uh, David Temple author. And I've just launched a new podcast, which is The Thriller Zone. So at Thriller, The Thriller Zone. And that's been taken off. That thing has grown so fast in such a short amount of time. And I love podcasts. Somebody said to me the other day, How, why do you love podcasts so much? And I said, well, let's see. I grew up since I was 
13, I started dreaming of being on the radio. I had my first job at 15. I had my first radio job at 16. And then I just catapulted from there because that's all I wanted. And um, that is my number one favorite thing. It's always been my number one favorite thing. And uh, so the Thriller Zone, I'm, I'm, I've jumped into that with two feet and I'm, I'm not looking back. Naked Monday has been fun and I, I'll come back around to that every once in a while. But for branding sake, I'm just sticking with the Thriller Zone. What else? Uh, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, people can find you there. Yeah, David E. Temple. Um, I don't really spend much time there. I've got a huge network there, but I, I don't know why I just don't spend much time there. And then Facebook, but I'll be honest with you, honey. Facebook confounds me a little bit. It confuses me. It's changed so much since, you know, the early days, like 10 years ago, I would I was way too obsessed, spent way too much time there. And now I don't. I, it's It's confusing to me, but... I'll I'll get back to it. You're you're very good at that, so I'll ask for your help. Okay, so we've covered Pat Norelli, uh-huh. the poser, mm-hmm. the imposter, which launched today. Congratulations to thank great you. sales. Thank you, thank you. We know where to find you on your website. We know how to buy that book, and we know how to connect with you on social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Anything else that you'd like to share with us before we move into the next part of the thriller zone. I would say I I would give great words of encouragement. I have recently made friends with a gentleman, uh, Eric Bishop, who is writing, uh, has a book called the body man. And I always, I want to say to the writing community to find, to surround yourself with mentors. I met Jack Carr early on, just before he blew up. And I've watched him from afar and I'm in such high admiration of his talents Eric Bishop is on the edge of blowing up with the body man. That's coming out in November. Um, and I, I dip in and out of other social sites where I get to communicate with guys like Don Winslow and Harlan Coben and Don Bentley. Uh, and I would say if you, the best thing you can do, well, the number one thing you should be doing is writing. I mean, if you're not writing, then you're not a writer and you'll never get anywhere. The second thing is kind of surround yourself with people who believe in you and encourage you and support you. And uh, thirdly, of course, surround yourself with loved ones like you, uh, friends and family who, when the going gets tough, they'll go hang in there. Because, you know, it's a lo- you know I'm, I'm from a career that surround was surrounded by a lot of high profile personalities in the spotlight new york la chicago detroit philadelphia and on tv radio film and it's a very heady experience and when you're taken out of that it can be its own situation but then you transfer into writing where it's solitary and you can go weeks and months without a lot of interaction it will change you. And I just think it's my word of encouragement is to find people and find things like Thriller Fest that K.J. Howe runs out of New York and um, all these different writing conferences and get involved in them, Boucheron and things like that, and absorb yourself. I mean, the I have I learned more in how many days was I in New York? Like three, four days? No, you were there for I I want to say it was just oh, shy of a week. Yeah, I learned more and did more uh, uh, networking than probably any other time in my life, uh, almost. And I would just encourage that. And that was the Thriller Fest. Thriller Fest, which is also doing virtual events until they feel comfortable to move back into a face-to-face gathering they're doing one right now i actually made a comment on social media about that several people told me how to be able to access that video uh, footage and so forth um and i would highly encourage you itw i mean international thriller writers is the group and it's worth every single penny um tell them tell kj i sent you and get a percent discount or something anyway it's just amazing to do that and the support group is phenomenal. What was the best money you ever spent as a writer? The best money I ever spent as a writer. 
Thriller Fest. I met amazing people. The thing that was so cool is you sit at home and you read all these books and you really are absorbed by them. And then you get to sit down with those authors. John Sanford. I get to hang out with John Sanford. I've been reading John Sanford, the Prey series, since college. Uh, I mean, that's just amazing. And then, again, the networking. Um, Meryl Moss of Meryl Moss Media that hooked me up with Book Trib that did some reviews for me and did some publication uh, for me this week. Um, I met a great guy out of um, Australia, James Gregory. We've become, uh, he was one of my first uh, podcasts on Naked Monday, and he's a, he's a former, or yeah, former detective turned writer. Uh, Frank Safiro uh, is a cop up in, um, oh God, I, I, I'm sitting here going, is it Seattle or is it Oregon? And uh, just meeting people and networking, and this is before COVID. So, yeah, back to the thing about um, bringing it back. I think they're going to bring it back in the next year or so, I hope. It's, there's, some, there's nothing like hanging around person to person at events like that. So conferences, the right Huge. conference for your genre yeah. would be the best investment, one of the best investments that a writer can make. A hundred percent for so many different reasons. And there's something about getting away to an environment that is nothing like the one that you're in that allows you to kind of like wipe the slate clean and you're fully immersed in it. Uh, I, uh, there's nothing quite like it. You've named several authors uh, during the podcast. What other authors are your friends or are you friends with, and how do they help you become a better writer? Um, hmm. I think the, I mean, it sounds kind of cliche, but the encouragement, because it's, it's not an easy job to create worlds out of thin air and and the competition gets harder and harder every year because there are more and more people who think they can write. So the market is inundated with every Tom, Dick, and Harry who tries to write a story. So the camaraderie, there's a couple of people that I can think of that, that just like, well, Eric Bishop today. We were just chatting back and forth, and uh, he said, hang in there, I believe in you. And I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, we've only become recent friends, and Andrews Wilson those guys just instantly kind of took me under their wings. And Jack Carr, who's just become a monster, a beast, you know, and he still, I still drop him a note and he'll respond. And he's so kind and gracious. And while he's blowing up, he doesn't forget all the people along the way. Um, and then, like I mentioned, Don Winslow, Don, you meet Don and you, you know, Don's a megastar. I made this comment to you one day, and it's kind of hilarious. I don't think I've ever told anyone publicly this, but, you know, in my radio career, I hung out with rock stars and country music stars and pop stars. I mean, you name them, I hung out with them, and they're and actors and actresses because I was on movie sets. And I never really went out of my way to get photographs or autographs or any of that because it was just like, you know, whatever. But now I meet writers for whatever reason now at <laughs> my age mm -hmm. and they they've become kind of my new rock stars and it's it's because of admiration i don't want to be them i don't want to uh, you know i'm not star sucking up and I, I just i really admire their craft and the way they've led their lives and they're kind of in my here my later years they're just they're my rock stars and I just totally dig that. And I learned so much. Like I can, I can rattle off five books right now that I've read and have shifted the way that I look at writing. And one I read recently 
The Gentleman's Hour by Don Winslow. I, I, I don't know how many times I talk about this, but I wrote, I read that a couple of years ago, and I just, for whatever reason, I read it again. I'm like, this is like a perfect book. So Stephen King said if something along the lines, if you're not reading, you're not writing. I mean, he's in his book um, on writing, he's just always talking about you've got to be reading. What do you think is the biggest misconception out there about writers and what it takes to make it and what it looks like when an author is discovered? Well, I think a big misconception is I think people see, oh, so-and-so wrote a good book and then all of a sudden they sold the rights and they're millionaires. You know, I think of uh, T.J. Newman, who was a recent discovery, and she wrote the book Falling, and I got introduced to her by Don. And that book was amazing, flight attendant, young flight attendant who uh, had a dream of a story and wrote it on cocktail napkins and put it out to 40 uh, agents and got turned down 40 times until it got in the hands of Shane Salerno, another secret hero of mine. And he turned her life around and she got a book deal and turned around and got a movie deal. So I think there's a little misconception that people think, oh, it's that easy. No, it's 40 rejections. And I think that's a low number. And that's a misconception. And I think the, the big, people always ask me, what's your number one secret? I'm like, it's seat time. It's putting your ass in the chair. I mean, I try to get up somewhere between five and six every single day, five days a week, and sit down and write. And that's what it takes. It's the discipline of constantly doing it. I think it's a combination of constantly doing it. And with time, it's, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours. By the time you do that, you have gotten to where you're halfway decent. So it's part discipline, you're honing your process, and hopefully you're learning along the way. Well, and a lot of people don't take into consideration, I imagine, the 10,000 hours, the number of years that it actually took for, in this particular example, with the book The Falling you know, for her to really write that story and have it be in a place where she could present it. That's just not something that happens in 30 days. It's hours and hours yeah. and years of crafting. It's years, yeah. I mean, look, my very first book, right, that I very first, I want to say it was 2008, 2009, when self-publishing was just getting started. And there's a little book called Chasing Grace, and I grew up in a religious home, so I thought, oh, that'd be interesting to write a story kind of like that and so I crafted it and you know it had some pretty decent sales but it wasn't until I because I'm a closet filmmaker I said look I, I want to turn that into a screenplay I'd never written a screenplay so I wrote a screenplay and I was like well I want to turn it into a movie never made a movie bunch of shorts but not a movie went out and raised the money and then shot it directed it started in it and sold it to word when it's on Amazon and Netflix and to be able to sit at home and watch a movie on the screen that you had an idea of how many years ago was that and how, it, a lot of suffering along the way as you very well know which we won't go into and you know I think people think it's really easy and you know like anything Mike it just takes time and practice and stick to itness and tenacity and being willing to learn and you fall down, you get up again. I guess it kind of depends on how badly you want it. And with that, you become, I would imagine, a jack of all trades. Yeah. You're a graphic artist for a book cover, you're a formatter. You are the social media strategy hat wearer. You're the social media activator. You do it all. And does that change when that person then becomes discovered? Or do you have to own a fair amount of that as you move through the 
the process. Well, I think a lot of people think it's, I think it's a misconception that when they get, when they get that book deal, they think it's just kick back and let everyone do the work for them. But I've heard this a hundred times that it's, it's just as hard. You're doing just as much work. The, the difference I think is, and I think Jack Carr probably does this. I know that I would do it. I've always been fanatical about learning every aspect so that I knew it, so that I could do it. Number one, so I could know how to do it. Number two, I remember the very first time I ever went to someone and wanted to get a website built, and he said it was like $3,000, and this was like two decades ago. And I'm like, I'll learn how to do it myself. And I sat down and taught myself how to do coding and WordPress and la, 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 la. And I've been that way ever since. The difference now is, and yeah, you're right, I, I, I plan the strategies, I do all the artwork for all the ads, I have done book covers, but I am now handing that off to great people like Raphael, who did The Imposter. And, you know, one day I want to get to the point, because I'm a leader and I like to run a team, which you don't do generally as a writer, and I would love to be able to eventually have a media person and a social person. And, you know, I want to hire you as my executive director of all of this one day at my first. I mean, this is, I, I daydream about this every single solitary day, folks, I promise you. And uh, have you as a strategist and a, an executive producer because of the way you can handle so many things. But that is so key to have a team of people who get it and their expertise is their expertise but until then you got to you got to put in the work you got to do it i mean i'm i'm working on an audiobook right now for frank serifo and i'm 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 going to turn around and do my own audiobook for the imposter i did it for the poser and that did remarkably well in sales even though i somebody beefed me because i couldn't do a woman's voice and i'm like well you got me there Everyone has yeah, an opinion. Exactly. People also commented on the sound effects in the audiobook of the poser. They really like that. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed that. I mean, again, that's the radio background showing up. And I've always liked radio theater. Even when I was a kid, I was listening to radio theater from the 30s and the 40s. And I love that medium. And I saw Don's eyes light up when we were having lunch that day talking about the magic of radio. And the thing about radio is it's so personal. Like right here, you and I are within six feet of each other. And you, you know, we get to do it our way and you get to connect on this level. Uh, and television's not way, that way, having worked in that. Film's not that way, having worked in that. Music's not that way. There is nothing like radio, which is why I think podcasts are so friggin hot right now because everyone's first of all everyone thinks they can do it and second of all it's pretty easy to do it the key is doing it well and doing it consistently but anyway yet i digress how about a little fun yes please do we're gonna close tonight's podcast okay. with some guilty pleasures oh, okay so we're gonna wipe that slate clean okay books seriousness yes and we're just going to be playful for our audience i love it by the way you're a great interviewer you're a great host well thank you for letting me be your guest host this evening yeah, you're amazing it was kind of funny to watch you relinquish <laughs> control <laughs> although you tried to hold on but yeah. you let go yeah so what's the fun the fun is about guilty pleasures so let's just talk about what's your, you live in Southern California, right? not in New York. Right. So clothing has definitely changed. Oh my God. Yeah. What's your favorite clothing line and why? Oh, wow. Day to day you get up. This is kind of your uniform. Uh, okay. My shorts are one of two things. They're either Viore which actually is based here in Encinitas. It is the best combination of materials, strategy, and wearability. It's phenomenal. And the other one is prana, which is quality. And uh, you think it's going to be yoga, but I think I got first introduced to them 
from our hiking days. Uh, but I like things that are durable because we, we beat them up and we wear them a lot. So that's the shorts. Shirts, how do you pronounce that shirt that I wear all the time? The long sleeve black shirt, Acerix or something like that? Yeah. I wear that entirely too much. Um, and then the other one is... Um, uh, 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 what's that with, with the three stripes on my shoulder? I can't remember. But Viore is a big one. And then um, flip-flops are either rainbows or um, the ones I'm wearing right now. I can't see that brand. It's the one you called out the other day with a little smiley face. I can't read that little thing. Oh, Sinuk. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's... I think that's it. That's probably oh, my... Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon's another good one for softness. Casual, soft, it, yeah. nice Movie. colors, nice fit. You don't feel like you've put on a one-size-fits-all tent. No. Moving from New York to here was a huge difference, right? We're wearing wool and gabardine and polished cotton and just great shoes and sophisticated. And you come here, and if you're wearing dress shoes... People like, you going to a funeral? I mean. <laughs> well, that's the nice part of the style that Viore has created yes. is that you can run around town in their apparel. You can take off shorts, put on a pair of jeans and one of their jackets and shirts, and you can roll into any restaurant and be appropriate. And is it... Still a little stylish. Yeah, I, I really like Fiori. Is Faherty, is that how you, Oh, yeah, Faherty. Faherty is another... Talking about quality yeah. craftsmanship with the Southern... With the SoCal vibe, but with an East Coast mm -hmm. influence. Yeah, I see that in their marketing. Yeah, I just... I can see that. So, so, so good. So good. Okay. That was fun. Favorite... Album, we're talking vinyl. Oh my god! Okay. Guilty pleasure. I'm at a board meeting at night, so you're here on your own. You're just gonna Got it. not necessarily rock out, but you're just going to put on something. What is your go-to vinyl? All right. Well, and if I had a tube-run Macintosh receiver with a really super high-end turntable that would really make it it's going to be if i'm in a chill mood it's going to be anything by miles davis probably some kind of blue is the first one that pops into my head if i'm in a rocking mood it's either going to be boston anything by boston don't turn back don't turn back you know any any of those or okay yeah you didn't give me a multiple choice uh, Eagles, probably Hotel California. I never get tired of that album. Anything by Boston. Um, America is, if I'm going to want to just kind of chill, 70s style, it's America. Uh, yeah. On that same vein, so now we're road tripping. Right. What is your favorite Cirrus radio station? Sirius XM seven seventies on seventies on seven with PJ McKay everybody seventies <laughs> on seven and they all talk like that. It's twenty minutes after the hour. Yeah, seventies on seven. That's been a good time. It is, and Casey Kasem on American Top Forty. Yeah. Oh God. All I right. Grew up with that. I love it. What is it about the seventies for you? that you connect with? Oh, besides the fact that I grew up in them, it, to me, it was the quintessential era of hip, great, earthy music coming from just people. Yeah, there was a lot of drugs and la, la, la. But it was just real, true blue rock and roll. The Who, Guess Who, The Beatles. Well, that was a little bit earlier, but Eagles, Rod Stewart, you know, uh, I could just go on and on. But it's that um, organic, earthy, 
They were talented, great lyrics. Like you cannot, you can't not listen to Eagles or Elton John, Dan Fogelberg, James Taylor, and not hear really great stories. Just great freaking stories. Like the stuff I'm listening to today, you know. You've watched some a fair amount of music documentaries over the course of the last few years. Mm-hmm. Give me two that stand out to you and one that kind of took you by surprise. Eagles, loved it, couldn't get enough of it. The one that took me by surprise, the Bee Gees. I always liked the Bee Gees for what they were because that was such a specific sound that has never been done before or ever again. But I didn't have the vast appreciation until I saw that uh, documentary. Wow. Amazing. And that's the Bee Gees documentary on HBO. And the Eagles documentary was a two-parter on Showtime. God. We have it. I think you bought it. I bought for it. For me, I for my it. birthday yeah. or something. And I could watch that. I could yeah. watch that once or twice a year without fail. It's like a couple of my favorite movies. <laughs> okay. So last question. Uh-huh. Yes. It's a perfect night seasonally. You have a summer and you have a winter. Give me your cocktail and give me your dinner. Oh, wow. Uh, for which season? Summer, and then I want to know winter. Summer is going to be a gin and tonic, and it's going to be, <coughs> excuse me, it's going to be a Hendrix gin and Fever Tree light tonic with fresh limes. The dinner is going to be one of our favorites, lamb, ri- lamb in a rosemary, etc. sauce on the grill, grilled perfection, and probably with a, we're salad freaks, so some phenomenal salad, and I can eat broccoli all day long, so broccoli with a slight kind of a sauce on it. Winter, <laughs> old fashions. Now, by the way, I don't drink either one of those very much anymore, or not in volume. I'm more of a craft beer person, and even then I'm kind of pulling back. But uh, old fashions, and the dinner would be probably a ribeye, a baked potato with real butter, sour cream, chives, bacon bits, cheese, with a side of broccoli, with butter, and... uh, Yeah. Well, David, (laughs) this has been a really special moment for me. And I appreciate you stepping back and letting me be your guest host. Sitting here interviewing you on the day of your release of The Imposter and hearing the story about Pat and how she came to life and hearing all about this fantastic network of author friends that you've created for yourself this wonderful group of people that now surrounds you and as they support and lift you up you support and lift them up it's it's been a wonderful seat along the sidelines watching all of this evolve and grow from the moment you came into my space in the fall of 2015 and I couldn't be more proud of you and I couldn't be more excited for all that's in front of you So for all of you that want to get to know David a little better and take a look at his books and take a look at his radio career and some fun other podcasts on Naked Monday and I think Rad Vibes Only and the Dave and Tammy Tour might still even be up there, give us your website one more time. DavidTempleBooks.com Boom. And P.S., you do realize that I couldn't do any of this without you. Well, thank you. Um, there's going to be somebody who goes, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. But it's true. Between, you know, when we very first met, the very one of the very first questions you said 
if you could do anything for a year, and we were both pursuing two different careers, and you said, if you could do anything for a year, what would it be? And I went, writing. And you said, do it. And I've been doing it ever since. I've been going at it as hard as I possibly can. And between that quote-unquote permission, so to speak, and your encouragement every step of the way, when I think I really suck some days, and you go, honey, here's your favorite phrase. Honey, you're a really good writer. And I know this kind of like saying, hey, Marty, like my book? But, you know, you're a well-read individual and you have really good taste and you have great instincts. And so, huge kudos to you and thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for letting me into your space. Yeah, it's been a great space and it's so much better with you. Thank you. And... What's your big finale, uh, Miss Host of The Thriller Zone? Who's your upcoming guest? I'm glad you asked. Joe Goldberg, the author of The Spy Devils, will be on our next show on July, Friday, July 9th. He's going to be on the show, and we have some very cool guests lined up for the remaining Fridays of the month. But we'll just leave it with Joe Goldberg for right now. Very excited about that. Excellent. Signing off from Encinitas, this is The Thriller Zone with David Temple. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.